Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Today, Andrew continues his teaching on who God is and who we are, recorded live from the 2019 Grace and Faith Conference in Telford, England. You need to recognize that you were an absolute mess before Jesus saved you. Apart from God's influence in your life, you just don't realize how perfect God created us to be. And now, here's Andrew. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 7. Could I ask how many of you were not here last night? You did not hear my last night's message. Could I see your hand? I only see a few hands, so most of you were here. That's good because what I shared last night needs some positive things now to encourage you, amen. <laughs> but you know what, really, it is positive for you to realize that you on your own are incapable of doing anything that you need to be dependent upon God. And our independence from God is what gets us into so much trouble. I tell you, there's, uh, I don't say this in a bragging way. I'm saying it in a thankful way, but my inability to have all of these natural talents and abilities and stuff has actually been a, a blessing to me because it makes me depend upon God. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice place to be. It's a wonderful place to be when you just feel like, God, I can't do anything. If you don't show up, I have no ability. It just makes you focus on God. And that's been one of the great things that God has done in my life is to just teach me that I had to be dependent upon him. So here in Romans chapter seven, let's start reading with uh, verse 18. It says, for I know that in me, and then in parentheses, he says, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And this is what I was talking about. And most people don't believe this. Most people believe that I'm really awesome. But the truth is you aren't really awesome. You were lost, you were headed to hell. And if it wasn't for the goodness and the grace of God that has changed your life, you would be able to say just like the apostle Paul that I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good things. The word flesh here isn't just talking about like the skin on your body. That's a term that the scripture uses to refer to your physical body and your soulish part, body and soul. And in your body and soul, your mental, emotional part of you, there is no good thing. It has been corrupted by the fall. And if he would have just said that in me, there is no good thing, that would have been incorrect because this is what I wanna start talking about is when you get born again, you become a new creature. And we're going to emphasize that. But you need to understand that in yourself, apart from your born again self, that you are not anything special. God has set his love upon you, but he didn't do it because you were awesome. He did it because he is love, not because you are lovely. But now that we are the recipients of God's love, man, we are blessed, blessed, blessed. We are special. Your future is so bright, you got to squint to look at it. I mean, God has awesome things in store for you, but it's not because we are special in ourself. Paul, I read those verses last night that in myself, you know, that he would not boast in anything 
in himself. So anyway, he says, for in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. In the book of Romans, I forget the exact number now, but it's 40 something times that the word sin is used. And out of all of those times, there's only two times that it is a verb. The other times it's a noun. The difference between a noun and a verb, a noun describes a person, place, or thing. A verb describes what a person, place, or thing does. It's describing action. And when the word sin is used in the book of Romans, there's only two times it's talking about actions. Other times it's not talking about what you do. It's talking about that sin nature, the sin that is in you. So this is what it's talking about right here. He says, it's not me doing it, but it's sin. It's that sin nature. And I wish I had time to explain this. I'm just going to say it and let it go. I hadn't got time to explain it, but in the sixth chapter, we do not still have a sin nature. When you get born again, your sin nature is gone. It doesn't exist. And yet some people will say, well, mine does. Because man, it just seems like you're constantly driven to lust or to do something. No, your sin nature is gone, but it left behind an unrenewed mind. It programmed you how to think and how to act. And now the sin nature is gone, but you've got to renew your minds. What it says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to, in a sense, reprogram your computer. Your mind is like a computer. It was taught to be selfish. It was taught to lust. It was taught to be angry. It was taught all of this stuff. And it's going to continue to function the way it was taught until you reprogram it. So you got to take the word of God and reprogram it. Anyway, I wish I had time to explain that. I'm going to go on, but it's not, this isn't talking about Paul, the man who wrote half of the books of the New Testament being this schizophrenic person that he wanted to do good, but he couldn't do good. And some people have tried to deal with this by saying this was before he got born again. It's talking about what happened, but that's Anyway, I'm not going to take the time to verify all of this. You can take it as andeology if you want to, but no, this isn't talking about before he's born again. This is talking about even now that he's a Christian, but it's not his sin nature that's making him do it. It's just the flesh. Our flesh is incapable of serving God. Your flesh is incapable of turning the other cheek when somebody spits in your face and slaps you. Your flesh is incapable of forgiving people. God has called us to do things that are beyond your human ability. The Christian life isn't just difficult, it's impossible. It's impossible. In yourself, you can't lay hands on the sick and see them recover. There isn't any of this power in your flesh, it's in your born again spirit. This is just describing the, the conflict between trying to serve God out of your ability with your power versus doing it by God's spirit. 
In Romans chapter 7, the word spirit is only used one time in verse 6, and it's not even talking about spirit like your spirit, soul, and body. It's talking about a mental disposition. But the word spirit isn't even used really in that sense in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 8, it's used 21 times. Romans chapter 7 is a, is a chapter that describes the conflict and the pain. And this is where most Christians live because they aren't living by the Spirit. But then in Romans chapter 8, it is nothing but victory. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And Romans chapter 8 just goes on and talks about the Spirit and how that the Spirit gives life. And anyway, this is what I want to contrast now. We've already shown you that without Christ in your flesh, you are nothing. You have nothing. You can do nothing. You might be able to exist and do things compared to other people, but you can't do what God wants you to do. You can't live the Christian life in your own flesh and in your own power. Man, that is so profound. I just feel like it's hard to say that and just move on. But that... That is something that the average Christian doesn't understand. They may have good intentions and they want to glorify God, but they haven't yet learned to turn from themselves and confidence in themselves and depend upon God. They are still self-dependent and that is a recipe for disaster. Some of the verses that I used last night, Jeremiah 10, 23, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God has given us the privilege of choosing whether to live by our own wisdom, our own intellect, our own ability, or to submit to him. He gave us that choice and you can choose that, but it's absolutely the wrong choice. We need to learn to live by what God says. And so this is what Paul is describing and he ends this seventh chapter in verse 24 by saying, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. Did you know most Christians today would never say anything like that? But that is absolutely true of each one of us. In ourself, if you are not taking into account who you are in Christ and what he's done, every one of you ought to be able to say, oh, wretched man or woman that I am. What a mess that I am. God, it's amazing that you love somebody like me. And yet there's a lot of people that would never say that because you really do value yourself and think you're awesome. But this is the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. It's the attitude that he had. And I would submit, submit to you that it's better than the attitude that you have. Amen. And then he answers his question in verse 25. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So in other words, the way we get delivered from this flesh is through God. And then Romans chapter eight, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Some versions will actually put a period there and leave off this second part. And did you know that that's correct in the sense that from God, now there is no condemnation to you, even though your flesh is not capable of serving God. And in your flesh, you constantly blow it. Some of you right now, the way you're thinking about me is wrong. 
the things that you've said about me, about how could this be true? I think that guy's great. That's wrong. You know what? You just constantly miss it in your flesh. And so from God, because you've accepted Jesus, there is zero condemnation towards you. But there is still condemnation. It's just not from God. If you start taking your freedom and liberty in Christ and the authority and the love and the peace and the grace that God has given you and you start saying, man, now God loves me. And so I can go out and live in sin. I can break the law. I can steal. I could rob a bank. And you know what? God will still love me. That is absolutely true. There is no condemnation from God over your actions. But if you take that approach, there still is condemnation. It's just not from God. I can guarantee you the police will catch you. They'll put you in prison. And you know what? While you're sitting in prison for the next 10 years, you could just have a wonderful relationship with God and you could feel the love and the peace of God as you rot away in prison. There is still condemnation against you. It's just not from God. You've got to recognize that sin was not only a transgression against God that has now been dealt with and God has taken away his wrath and punishment. He is not going to cease to answer your prayers because you have done something wrong. If that was true, which is what the church is basically preaching, not the whole church, but the majority of the church is preaching that God loves you proportional to your performance. When you do everything right, then God loves you and God will answer your prayers. That's in a nutshell what the church as a whole is preaching. If that was true, then James chapter 2 verse 10 says, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of all. Anybody who preaches that you've got to perform and earn God's favor and blessing, his love in your life, they are inaccurate according to the New Testament because the New Testament teaches that you don't, if you keep 99 rules out of 100, you don't make 99, you make zero. You either keep them all perfectly or you fail the test. And if that's true, which it is, well then that means that nobody in here can earn the blessing of God. God placed all of your sin, the sins that you haven't even committed yet, are placed on Jesus. They're all forgiven. And I know there's a lot of people that think that's heresy. How can God forgive a sin before you commit it? Well, you better pray that he can forgive a sin before you commit it because he only died for your sins one time 2,000 years ago before you had committed them. When he died, all of your sins were future. God can forgive sins before you commit them. God has already dealt with sin your sin is not an issue between you and God. But if you think, well, man, then I can go live in sin. You're forgetting the fact that sin wasn't only a transgression against God. Sin is an inroad of Satan into your life. Romans chapter six, verse 16 says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Even though God isn't placing his judgment on you, it was placed upon Jesus, sin opens up a door to the devil. And the Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief, Satan, only comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. If you go out and live in sin, God is not going to judge you for your sin. He already judged Jesus for your sin, but Satan will judge you for your sin. He will come in and destroy your life. 
And this is exactly what's happening to a lot of Christians. If you think that God is the one that's causing you to fail when you sin, then it's going to separate you from the love of God. But I'm telling you that God loves you in spite of who you are, not because of who you are. God loves you, period. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't make God love you more and you can't make God love you less. But you can go out and live in sin and there is condemnation if you are, aren't walking in the spirit. If you're walking after the flesh, Satan is going to condemn you. People are going to condemn you. The government will condemn you. The law will condemn you. There are consequences to your actions. It's just not God who's judging you and rejecting you because of your actions. Man, this is awesome stuff I'm saying. And things that most people don't know. So in verse two, he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death. That's the law that when you sin, you get death instead of life. That's the law that when you sin, you get Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 15 through 68. All of the curses instead of the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14. In other words, you reap what you sow. But God set us free from that. I'm reaping what Jesus sowed as long as I put my faith in him and trust in him and rely upon him. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, through my flesh, your flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and forcing, condemned sin in the flesh. And verse four says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. We have now been set free from living out of our own self and out of our own ability, what the Bible calls the flesh. And we can now live out of our spirit. So hopefully you remember what I was saying last night about how hopeless we are, how that our heart is evil and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That God saw the imagination of our heart that we were it was only evil continually. It actually made God repent that he had made man on the earth. If you remember all of that, and if you don't go on and take the next step, that could lead you to a place of total hopelessness, hopelessness like, God, how could you love somebody like me? And this is where I was when the Lord touched my life. I had basically been taught that I was a sinner, not because of my actions, but because I inherited a sin nature. I knew that. I understood that. And when I saw the glory of God and I saw my relative unworthiness, I abhorred myself. I abhorred all of my religious hypocrisy and my criticism against other people who weren't as holy as me. And I saw all of this stuff. But then I experienced this supernatural love and for four and a half months, I was just caught up into the presence of God. And I mean, God loved, I could feel tangibly, physically, the love of God. There was times that I actually was afraid to open my eyes and look because I thought God would be standing there and I, I wasn't sure I could stand to, you know, live if I saw him. And I mean, it was just powerful. And yet it was wonderful, but it was so confusing. 
to me because I understood for the first time in my life that I was not worthy, that I didn't deserve it, that I could never deserve it. I don't care what I did. I could never be good enough for God to love me. And yet he did. And so it was a wonderful experience, but after the emotion of it wore off and God does not want you to live just on emotion, it will always wear off. You cannot live in just an emotional high all of the time. God doesn't want you to. We have enshrined emotions to where it's more real to us than fact. Man, God wants us to get out of that. I got a great teaching on that in harnessing your emotions. But anyway, once the emotion of it wore off, then confusion set in, and I mean desperation set in, like, God, I don't feel this love anymore, and I didn't know what I did to make God's love become real to me in the first place. I didn't know what I did to make it leave. I didn't know what I had to do to get it back, and I mean, I got desperate, and I started seeking the Lord, and a lot of things happened, but basically... Here's the thing that turned my life around. Let's look at these verses over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 17. And again, I'm jumping right into the middle of this. The context of this is really powerful. But in verse 17, he says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath. That means it's already been done. Past tense, hath reconciled us unto God by himself. The word reconcile means to make friendly again or to bring into harmony. Like when you tune the strings on a guitar, you reconcile them to each other. You reconcile your bank statement. Here's what the bank says. Here's what your record says. They've got to come into agreement, into harmony. When it says that we have been reconciled unto God, that means that God is no longer angry at us. God is not mad at us. We are reconciled. We are made friendly. We're brought back into relationship. But the key to understanding this is in verse 17, where it says that if you are in Christ, if you've been born again, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, not some things, but all things are become new. And it didn't say that all things are in the process of becoming new. It says all things are new. And you know, I remember when I was in Vietnam and I mean for 15 hours a day, I would just sit and read the word and pray and say, oh God, how do I get back to where I was? What do I do? And panic was setting in. And I was totally by myself. I had nobody that I could go to. And I read this verse and it, I just was trying to be honest. And I said, God, old things haven't passed away with me. Everything isn't become new. And I wasn't trying to contradict the scriptures. I was just trying to be honest and say, God, I cannot see this in my life. And yet I know I'm born again. I know that you are in my life. How do I understand this? And let me turn over here and read this verse to you out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in verse 23, the Lord used this verse. And it says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And right here, this is amazing. There's many other verses that say this, but it all, this puts it all in one verse. 
He says, I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. And it just dawned on me that I was not aware of who I was spiritually. What God is doing, we can't just thank him enough. We are so grateful. And it all started here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. On today's broadcast, you saw an excerpt from Andrew's teaching titled, Who God Is and Who We Are, recorded live from the 2019 Grace and Faith Conference in Telford, England. This four-part teaching is available in a CD or DVD album for a gift of any amount, or on a USB drive for only $30. Also available is the entire 2019 Grace and Faith Conference which includes all four of Andrew's sessions, along with teachings from guest speakers Wendell Parr and Dwayne Sheriff. This conference was recorded live in Telford, England, and is available in a nine-part CD or DVD album for a gift of any amount, or on a USB drive for only $49. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get these teachings. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. Welcome to the AWM Minute, a small glimpse on how your partnership with Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College has allowed us for decades to sow the word for free into countless lives. Everything that God has for you, healing, deliverance, prosperity, anything that you need is in this word. To celebrate all God has done through your partnership, Andrew has produced his latest video, A Ministry of Sowing, where you will see how your support is producing a harvest in countless lives through television, prayer, free materials, events, Karis Bible College, and more. Everything we are seeing today is a result of what you, our partners, have sown into Andrew Womack Ministries. To view this expression of our gratitude, go to awmi.net today. Before you even have a need, God has already supplied your need. I know that all day long people are being blessed here and their lives are being changed. If there's anything you want to know about anything, then Jesus is the one. Folks, the moment you get saved, you ought to show the world what Jesus has done for you. I'm just enjoying being fed by people that have walked places that I haven't walked. If you lay foundations in people's lives, they will get a hold of grace. Because you can't be a pastor and do what a pastor does without grace. I feel like this is an opportunity at the Ministers Conference 
for ministers to receive the ministry that we need. You're gonna speak to the mountain and it's gonna move, but first you gotta have faith in God. It's time for us to rediscover the full power of the Holy Spirit.